The final season of Power Book 2, Ghost, begins. And for Tariq St. Patrick, it's the moment of truth. In the wake of being betrayed, pushed out of the drug game, and almost killed, Tariq is out for revenge. Will he prove to be like his father and do whatever is to be done to protect his family and his future? Or is he his own man? Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now only on Stars and the Stars app. State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something, to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help. With funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots, being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we're your hosts of Street Politicians, the, the place, place where, where the, the streets, streets and, and politics meet. meet. The end of six episodes covering gun violence. Yes, man. And each episode was intriguing, was important, was captivating. We had some of, you know, a little bit of everybody. I think we should watch a clip of the first five episodes um, and, and, you know, hopefully... Uh, folks will get an opportunity to really kind of get a feel if you haven't watched the actual uh, long-form episodes or listened to them, you have the opportunity to really kind of get a glimpse of what was covered. Um, But I do definitely, definitely, definitely advise that people would sit and listen to each one and to listen intently. I wrote notes. um, I contacted other individuals and connected people. We pulled folks together, made sure that the people we met in the first episode got to meet individuals from the third or fourth, uh, because that's what it's all about. It's about organizing. It's about convening hearts and minds. And um, I, I certainly am proud of the work that we're doing in terms of slowing down a little bit from, you know, just trying to be on the beat. We want to make sure everybody, you have a podcast, you have a show, you have Uh, you know, any type of public facing work, you want people to see it, to admire it. You want people to to get engaged. Um, And I think that this special is certainly engaging, but I can also understand that it may not reach every single person the way that a different show that we're working on does. But that doesn't mean it's less important. It's even more important. So with that said, let's watch the clip. Yeah, yeah. The spikes that we're seeing around the country have to do with or are directly associated with the after effects of the COVID crisis. It's unfortunate that you can ride in your hood and know who you're going to be raising money for to bury one day. I almost lost my mom when I was 10. She was shot twice in broad daylight. At 13, I saw, I came in, came in encounter with my first pieces of dumb violence. I saw my man Dorian Dixon get murdered right in front of me. We have to understand that mentality, that lifestyle, right? And when you have a lifestyle that you don't see as criminal, 
nothing you do is, is is looked at as wrong. More police doesn't mean the violence is gonna is gonna um, decrease. All they seeing is people die at the hands of gunfire. We have to understand that the language tells them that the best way to protect themselves is to carry that gun as well. Now I have a bullet in my leg and a rod from my knee to my hip, and I know I can't run or I can't go to the gym, and it's these self-conscious moments that I felt like I knew with the other women out there that I needed to speak to. There is no code for gun violence survivors who just happen to be shot, like me, who just happen to be in a situation on vacation, who just happen to be leaving school, who just happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. Our deep wounds require deep, deep, deep healing. And until we get the voice of who Shanduk is advocating for and GMAC and who Trigger is advocating for really at the table, we're gonna to continue to see this manifestation of, of despair and using the gun as a solution. We have to intervene immediately. We know it's getting ready to go down. Uh, and to watch it happen uh, almost makes us co-conspirators in it. But this is the reality of everyday violence. There are people experiencing this, this crime every day. I fell in love with this process of being able to save lives because it was a conflict between two groups and I knew both of the guys and I was able to stop people from killing each other. And I'm gonna be honest, I never felt anything remotely close to the joy and satisfaction that I got from saving a life. Yeah, and that's just, you know, just a little bit of what we glimpse. cover. A little yeah. glimpse. Next episode, we'll be talking about the cannabis industry, which is also important. And these things are connected because, um, you know, when we talk, when we're talking about poverty, we're talking about violence, we're talking about um, inequities in our community. Um, when we look at the cannabis industry, that is one way uh, that we can uh, find an opportunity for equity, for um, for for building generational wealth. And so, um, you know, I think we we're trying to do a good job of curating an experience within street politicians that gives people the opportunity to learn, grow, and go do something with what it is that you are finding out. So in this sixth episode today, we're talking to someone from law enforcement, um, someone who is a former chief, highest levels, went through the ranks, traveled through all the ranks of the NYPD in the city that we live in. Um, And I think that's an important conversation. But also, we're talking to another young man who I found out from you. I've known this brother for a long time. I had no idea that he had actually been in prison um, and that he had been on both sides of the gun, a shooter and a victim. Um, and we're learning some some things about his situation today. So I'm excited for the show. Yes, man. You got to tune into this one. This is going to be epic. You know, I think... Brother um, Samson Styles, we're talking about. He's somebody that I've admired watching, knowing his history, and just seeing how he kept his authenticity in this industry. Mm-hmm. Man, he took his whole aura and street persona, and he made it cool in, on the big screen. So you know that was always something that I looked up to, man. Before I even got into the field, I mean, while I was in prison, and you know, not mm-hmm. really, I was signed, but I was never really able to get out there. He right. was always somebody that I looked up to, like yo. This dude is doing it. So 
I'm de definitely interested in that interview. And you know, people run to be in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. um, and while Samson certainly has been in front of the camera, it's the behind the scenes stuff that yeah. uh, that can make you money, things that you might actually have better skills at. Some folks go out, they do an audition to get in front of the camera, uh, to be an, an actual character or, you know, to play a role. And when they're turned down, they feel like, man, you know, I wanted to be in the industry. And now because I can't be an actual artist or entertainer, then... You know, my career is over, yeah. but they don't think that, wait, I might actually be better at financing movies. Um, I might actually be better at seeking out talent, training movies, people, directing know? films. I Writing. love watching Tiana uh, Taylor's process that she's going through now, where she's learning from other OG, uh, you know, production folks how to be a producer and how to um, to transform the skills that she already has into directing and what have you. And I love that about her because very similar to the point, her music career, which I love her freaking music. I mean, Yo, I love Tiana. Her last, T -T -T. Man, her last album was amazing. But she was really frustrated about the lack of support that she received for her album and the way that she feels like her career is not, you know, it's not going in the direction that she wants it to travel, right? And instead of her just being like, I'm hanging it all up and I'm going home, she's back from a different direction. That's what it's supposed to be about. That's what it's always about, man. It's sometimes we have to reinvent ourselves. That's right. You know, sometimes we have to realize that even though you love to do it this way, but this is God's calling for you to do it that way. So. You know, those are the people that survived in this industry in the world, period. Mm. You know, constantly evolving, constantly saying, hey, this is what's going on. I need to know how to do this. I, I tell my kids all the time. I tell my son, you want to do music? Then get you a friend that shoots videos. Get you a friend that makes beats. Y'all can make yourself a conglomerate. Make yeah. yourself a team and know how to do every aspect so that you make sure that you are always an asset. So, yeah, right. You got to corner the market. Corner the market. Yes. So that brings me to my thought of the day. If you watch the news all day, you might go crazy. Because the news is a little, like, crazy. It's a lot going on. It can give you real anxiety. And what I realized from Donald Trump being president is that whatever is happening with our, like, elected officials in the highest offices in your local community and or federally, it impacts people's mental stability and or not, right? So a lot of issues that we have and questions that we have about COVID-19, about the economy, about so many things comes from the fact that we were dealing with a kid, really like a grown, kid. irresponsible child. So now the Republican Party wants to come back and say, well, you need to get vaccinated because I'm sure... They've done some research. They figured out that, mm, you know, now you start to see Fox News Channel and others talking about, eh, you know, get vaccinated. All of them have been vaccinated. That's the other thing. They're all saying they've been vaccinated, right? Um, and now they're telling people, still they don't agree with the mask, but they think you should get vaccinated because it definitely reduces the ability to have mutations and spread, by, you know, so they've got their... They've got their reasoning for why they feel people should get vaccinated. But I think all of it started because of the the and all of the the doubt, certainly aside from the fact that black people have doubt anyway, 
that's a fact. But also just some collective doubt has come from how President Trump at the time addressed the entire virus, how he was out there, you know, spending his time talking about the China virus and just doing and saying things that was not giving people clear direction on what to do. It wasn't being taken seriously enough. There are folks who um, I, I think got caught up in the middle of the foolishness rather than all of us being properly educated by the folks at the, uh, in the highest office in the land. So I'm giving that as a pretext to my thought of the day um, because now we've got another crisis here in the city, in, well, in the state of New York, and that is Governor Cuomo uh, and the women who have accused him of sexual assault and sexual harassment. Now, I bring up this idea of strong leadership because um, I think that whenever you have a situation where people like how we are here in New York, the virus has really messed up this, this state. Like, we, you can say what you want. Oh, it's real, not real. All of the things, everybody's got a theory. The but the impact of it is real. Things are closed. You can't get things you need. Kids in and out of school. Stuff closing up and down. People not having jobs. People need workers. It's a lot going on within this state. And I'm, I'm sure it's everywhere, but this is where I live, so we're speaking directly here. So now you got a scandal with the governor in a sexual assault thing. Mind you, when we were seeing him on TV doing such a wonderful job, remember everybody was like, look at the governor. He's right. People were call people were calling me. I never I'm not saying you said it, but I'm just telling you, people were calling me from Alabama here and there. Man, your governor, look at your governor. The problem is to go back to my original point. They were comparing him. And his ability to sit down and have a charismatic conversation and lead to a fool president who was acting like a big dummy and a clown. So they, so in their minds, they saw some leadership and they like, wow. Meanwhile, we've been saying that Governor Cuomo was complete trash. We've been saying it. We've been telling you he's trash. We've been telling you that he has been behind racist policies. We have, we've been telling folks that, and I had to stop family members and say, y'all don't know this dude. Do not let his nice looking, yeah, he knows how to suit. speak. And well, he don't wear really good suits. He just wears a, a button and a shirt and a roll up. He got the he got a, a fly white boy, older white boy look. And so people were really tricked. And I was having conversations with even my own family members being like, yo, this guy, number one, he has pushed, pushed racist policies in New York. He has been divisive in terms of developing um, or, or, or incentivizing Democrats to sort of leave the very liberal side of uh, decision making and voting on issues and lean more towards conservative politics. He literally was giving people, and, and they'll say, he didn't do that. Uh, you know, you're saying he did it. He didn't assign offices. It was at his direction, okay? They were giving people corner offices, you know, better access. They could meet with the governor more to be a part of something called uh, the IDC which was an independent part of the government where we send people, we vote for somebody and send them to uh, Albany, which is the state capital of New York. We send them up there and say that they are um, a, a Democrat 
And next thing you know, you find out they up there caucusing with the Republicans, making decisions that are against what the Democrats needed. And by the way, the individuals that they were able to, to sort of move to a more conservative side, it took the power away from a black woman who was in charge of the Senate. She had the power. She was basically the strongest senator in New York, okay, this black woman. Um, and she's the majority rep, um, uh, 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 Andrea Stewart-Cousins. And it took away so many votes that they were no longer in the majority, so they could not vote on progressive policies, okay? And the governor orchestrated this himself. I could go down the list of things that the governor has done to be divisive, to be on the wrong side of history, um, to be, you know, against anti, giving us money and resources to deal with gun violence. Now, all of a sudden, it's become a priority on his list. <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah. Until he started courting the idea of running for president, he was damn near a Republican governor. That's the way he was governing New York. Yeah. Okay? And you can, and don't ask me. Go get some of the Democratic elected officials who've been up there in Washington fighting him, the ones who had the, I was getting ready to use the word balls, that's the wrong word to use, excuse me. So let me say the, well, who had the courage, who had the courage to speak the truth about what the governor was really doing. So when they come out and say that he was sexually harassing and assaulting women, I'm not going to say that I just immediately believed it because you don't know, right? But after listening to the stories, after listening to some other people who were around, in my mind, I was thinking that the same trash that could do these things could potentially be doing this stuff too. But they said, let's have an investigation. And Tish James, Letitia James, who is the attorney general, a black woman of New York State, who, by the way, the governor supported and also helped to get elected. So don't give me the bullshit about, oh, she's just against him and this. No, she that was her man. And there's been many times that I wanted Tish James to come out against the governor and she didn't say anything. And that caused a point of contention between me and her politics. OK, so to be clear, this is not about permanent friends. It's about permanent interests. And so when they said when Tish James said she's going to come out with a report, I was skeptical. But I sat back and I said, if anybody's going to do it right, I believe a black woman will. And guess what? A bunch of before she could get her report out the gate, a bunch of black leaders People I love and respect came forward to support the governor and did so much as going out of their way to make it seem like he was some type of golden child, okay, before they allowed the actual investigation to happen. And we're supposed to be supporting and believe in women and all of that. But these individuals, black folks, got together and went out and supported the governor Prior to, again, allowing this other black woman to come forward with her report, and now the report comes out, and the cell phone stuff and, and, and testimony and other things, evidence to show that he was in inappropriate conversations and relations, and there are women who say they didn't even want the attention. They didn't even want the passes that were being made at them and the harassment and the cornering that they felt and, and the way that they, they felt at work. And and then after they came forward with their stories, rather than 
um, him being ostracized, these women were moved out of their offices. They were, as this is what they do all the time. When you, This is why people do not like to come forward, especially about powerful men and abuse. Because what they did was they ostracized the women. They made the women feel uncomfortable at work. They moved their desks. They isolated them. And he was allowed to run around with his black friends who came out and said he was the greatest thing, greatest thing since sliced bread. And now the black woman report, who is his friend who he helped to get in office, who he supports and she supports him, they was cool. And that woman had to come forward and say, you know what, after my investigation, I believe, I know that he did this. And when you think about that, you know, it, it took a lot. You know, of course it did. So it means that there has to be some level of evidence or that pushed her to actually, you know, say, nah, this is happening. Because when somebody supports you, gets you in the position, you know, and you have a level of loyalty to come out and, and say that, you know, the you know, the whole investigation must have uncovered some things that she couldn't even deny. Right. You know, it wasn't up for grads, it wasn't well, it could have been this but I believe that this investigation had to show some things that was telling to the point where it's like, there's no way I could act like this didn't happen. Absolutely. No, it I mean that is the absolute, that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. That this is a man who helped a black woman from Brooklyn, a black girl from Brooklyn, let's start there, who, who, who rose through the ranks of city government, became the public advocate, and then became the actual attorney general of New York State, which is one of the absolute most powerful states in the world, yes, okay, with the most powerful city in the world, the top cop, and it was the governor who helped carry her to that position along with other black women and black folks who supported her as well. I'm not saying that the voters weren't there, but it takes political posturing and power in order to become the attorney general as a black woman, the first ever, okay, let's be clear. So for her to come out with these state, this statement and to say that her findings is that the governor um, engaged in inappropriate sexual uh, 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 harassment. She didn't even use, I didn't hear her say assault, which by the way, the women say that they were groped and that would be assault. But I'm sure she's trying to be careful because legally and whatever else and maybe even personally, she's got to be careful. So she says sexual harassment. For her to do that, that's very hard. Because by the way, that white man sat on TV and said he's not stepping down, he's not doing anything, he's going forward because he didn't do anything wrong, and he damn near, from what I can hear, made it seem like these women, if I did do it, that's what they wanted. And here you are, the attorney general who has to run for office and other things and needs to be able to do your job and operate. And now you have an enemy that you've made out of a man who we all know to be somebody who definitely, absolutely carries grudges against people because that's who uh, Andrew Cuomo is. OK, so she didn't just do that. And so what I'm just trying to figure out as a part of my thought of the day is what do these black leaders have to say now? What do they have to say now? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's always touch, it's very touchy subjects when it comes to accusations, especially in, in you know, political parties and things like that, because you have to be careful. You know, you have to really be careful who you put your support behind. You know, I've learned that I'm not really a political person, you know, but I've watched over the years people support people you know, blindly, you know, just out of faith and friendship, 
But you got to be real careful because these are people that we're putting in charge of our government, in charge of us. So you got to be real careful. A lot of these black leaders, like you said, they they want support, and they support when you when you get him getting behind Tish and all that. They say, okay, this is somebody that's that can be an ally, you know. So they want to come out. They they want to believe him. He says, oh, I didn't do anything wrong. Boom. He seems adamant about it. People want to believe him. So you know, I think a lot of them probably definitely gonna be disappointed. Have to eat. You know, have to eat crow and sit around and, and tell people who they probably know who are making these accusations. That they, now you got to say sorry to some people. Well, well they, I don't you know? even know because I think I was gonna say something that would probably get me in a lot of trouble. So I'm not gonna say it. But and it's not even about it getting me in trouble. But I also have love for a lot of these leaders, and so I don't want to uh, make statements that I don't know to be true. But I know what I think. But I will say this. The problem that I have is not that they want to support the governor because they've worked with the governor for years. Many of them have strong relationships with him. Uh, he's been helpful to in different ways. I'm not saying he's been all bad. Of course not. I mean, certainly there's been things that the governor has done to help New York stay progressive. Um, you know, in terms of his ability to communicate uh, and the ways in which he deals with disaster. But so was Giuliani. When it came to disaster relief after 9-11, that's how Giuliani became beloved because he came to the scene and was on it, on it, on it. And people were like, okay, they like this mayor. Meanwhile, this guy, let's not get into it. But I mean, we talking about, we talking about a, 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 a white supremacist, a, sta a staunch racist. Yeah. Okay, so this, this is a whole different set of issues. But I'm just saying, and I'm not in any way comparing Cuomo and Giuliani to one another. But what I am saying is that the comparison can be that just because someone does good when you are watching them from one angle doesn't mean that there are not other things that are extremely, that are extremely harmful, harmful happening as well. Yeah. It's the same thing with us. You might look at us and say, well, I like street politicians, but I don't like what they're doing with Until Freedom. And you have every right to be able to say that. And I, what I, what where I have a problem is that and my specific concern is why not wait until the report yeah. from a black woman who's the attorney general that we all supported came out? Came out. Because why not? I told you, they people want to be on the cusp. They want to. No, they, I, I, I they think they want to get that energy. They want to get some support. They that's wanna, some of them. Yeah, some, some of them. Some of them. Some of them. But there's also some of them that have a problem with supporting white people. First, they they are they are trained that the white man's ice is colder, mm. and that's a problem. That's definitely a problem. That's a problem. It's a lot of so people. That's what I got. I to mean, say. we we deal with Stockholm. We know that most of us in our community deal <laughs> with that, and um, and this is no different. I've watched it happen throughout history. We see it happen every day. We see people that will attack us. You know, we see people that will attack us or have done things with us that work with. White people who do way worse than us, you know. So it's 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 a sad reality, man. Hopefully, you know, justice is served, and yeah, hopefully and, and, it is. You know, hopefully it, it is because the process. But I'm not. I, I don't really have faith in a lot of these things. I I don't know obviously any of these women, but I do know that he, the governor, his personality is one that does whatever he wants to do. He is. A white man who knows that he's a white man. You know, I was on the line in the airport um, 
when leaving New York to take my mom to visit her sister just a few weeks ago. Uh, or maybe it was last week. I don't know, but it doesn't matter. Um, and a white man was in front of us. And the line, all of a sudden, there was just complications. I hate, I absolutely hate going to John F. Kennedy Airport. This is not a place that First I like it was to too be. Far, and then it's and just, it's too, just much. too much. Um, and so, you know, there was drama on the line. And we got delayed extra time because of all the drama. And the white man who's in front of us turns around and looks at me and he goes, you notice this? Like these people are skipping us. We've lost control here. And I said, yeah. So this is ridiculous. He said, oh, let me go get somebody. So he goes off. He goes to get somebody. And the lady at the counter tells him, sir, sir, excuse me. Excuse me, sir. I need to finish what I'm doing over here. And then I'll get back. So he's like, yeah, but people are skipping. She refused to answer his question. Another lady comes. He tells this lady, she's still, nobody's dealing with the problem that he's that finding. Finally, I say, to one person, and you know, I'm gonna say it different from other people. I gotta, I know you gotta put a little bit of black woman and maybe a little ghetto so people can know you're not playing. Mm -hmm. So I, I had to be like, yo, like this is not working and really make them fix the problem. The white man turns around and says to my mother, and I overhear him saying, I'm a white man and couldn't get good service. He said that. Does he know? He and know. It, he, he know. Normally, white people get good service. So if I'm not getting it, then I don't even know how you expect to get it. You ain't the, basically you. You the good man. Service. The white man turned around and looked at my mother and said, "I'm a white man. I'm a white man and can't even get good service at this airport." Okay, so that means more than likely in his life, of his wife. I think he probably is a liberal white man who was trying to make a joke. Mm -hmm. But the point of the matter is that, that he, he recognizes he he's white. Yeah. And he can use it this way or that way. But in, in Cuomo's situation, he uses his whiteness to, ex to have extreme power. And you could go to the, to the governor with all types of issues and problems trying to, you know, I've seen the elected officials trying to work with him. And he takes a position that I'm king. Mm. And so, therefore, it's not hard for me to believe that when it came to these women, he thought he was king as well. And That's I just feel like we should let the queen, the attorney general, a black woman, have the last say on whether or not he actually um, did anything wrong. And then he should have to defend himself. So that's that for that's me. That on that's that on that? That's not the order that's that on that. It's gonna be a little controversial because I seen a couple of your friends up there. You know, listen. But before we go to the next segment and have our special guest join, we're gonna take a quick break for our sponsors. The final season of Power Book Two Ghost is here, and no one's future is safe. After surviving a hit on her life, Monet, played brilliantly by Mary J. Blige, has to reckon with what led her to almost lose everything and to atone for the life she has forced her children to live. And on the other side of the coin, Davis, portrayed by the multi-talented Method Man, is suspended and on the verge of losing his law license. Desperate to survive, he fully embraces the criminal underbelly of his enterprise and finds himself working for both sides, loyal to whichever one benefits him most. And then, of course, there's Tariq, who finds himself at rock bottom and facing threats from every angle. With his future in the game in serious doubt and his family's safety on the line, will he lean into the St. Patrick name and do whatever has to be done to get back on top? Like father, like son. Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. 
There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more, connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and an Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T, connecting changes everything. Limited time offer requires 0% APR, 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year? Their year. These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. That's how we own it! You know what? We really literally have a lot of friends. A lot of that friends. That do a lot of great things. Great things. You know? And I know sometimes we always say, well, we need to find people that we don't necessarily agree with on issues. And make sure they are part of the show. But I do. I always wanted to create a platform that gives voice to folks that people don't see often, right? People mm-hmm. um, need to know that there are individuals out here who help to keep us going, even though things may not be perfect. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done. There are individuals that really fight for us every single day, and people who, um, you know, are, are helping to try to move the ball forward and to keep us. Uh, and keep us alive, cause Amen, yo, cause we definitely like, need to be alive for real, for real. <laughs> and um, you know, again, a friend of ours that is joining us today for a conversation, someone that I know really well. I have a, a funny joke to tell, um, which I'll say second, but I want to introduce him. He is um, a former chief um, at the NYPD, the New York Police Department, and I smile because. We have had the absolute most uh, serious and contentious debates. Uh, Him being a police officer and me being an activist and us working together on a number of campaigns and strategies uh, over the years, we've had some heated, heated conversations about what, uh, the, what the direction should be, both from the community and the police department. And the thing about uh, Chief Phil Banks, Chief Philip Banks III, I call him PB3 because his daddy, um, uh, it's your grandfather who must have been senior. The, the senior, right? Your dad right. is the second who I love. His father's the finest man walking the earth. Um, he also was a police officer. And then you have uh, Phil Banks, um, who started out 29, well, if it, for 29 years, he worked within the NYPD, started out, of course, as a beat cop, then became a precinct commander, a borough commander, 
went to community affairs, which is where uh, the beginning of our relationship is, where he's now over the police officers who are in the community all the time and was leading an effort and did a very good job of reshaping what community affairs looked like in New York City and making sure that it was really, really for the community. And then, of course, before retiring, he became chief of departments, um, where he was literally uh, I guess I would say second to the the commissioner running New York City. Um, and I, I got an opportunity to go from community affairs to chief of department. So I understand the intricacies of the NYPD and policing across the country based upon my relationship with you, Phil. And I want to thank you uh, for coming on with my son and, and me today. Yes, sir. Um, you know, the thing, the thing I laugh about, though, is because you know, many times I would go and say, well, you know, this police are doing this, that, and the third thing wrong. And he's like, who are you talking about, Pookie? I know Pookie. Like, I was out there with Pookie needs to be arrested because Pookie is a danger to society. I'm like, no, he needs services. Yeah, he might need all of that. But right now, we need to get Pookie off the streets. Like, don't tell me about Pookie and Ray Ray because going through all of these steps from being a beat cop all the way to chief of departments, he knows the community. He lives in Queens. He has young kids. He has brothers who are in all different fields, people, and lives in, he knows and understands the street life very well, works with Erica Ford. So this is not, so you can't really talk him, you know, into these corners because he actually has things to say that you have to be able to address at the same time. But clearly he understands the need to put in the community. You understand the need, Phil, to put in the community the resources that's necessary so that police are not in contact um, in the ways in which they are with individuals who need services and support. Right, right. I agree. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, T, I think you bring up an interesting point. And I think that until we as a as a city, as a country, as a community, as a world come to the conclusion on both sides that policing one can no longer be just the responsibility of law enforcement because they can't get it right. Right. You know what you know. And importantly, most people don't know what they don't know. Mm. Right. So they just fill in the blanks. Right. And subsequently, we have now, in my opinion, um, uh, a dynamic with police reform and tough on crime, people think are mutually exclusive. When I say tough on crime, I mean, I mean keeping the citizens safe. Mm -hmm. uh, but you have to have police reform. And in these cities, we are policing the same way we've been policing for 50 and 60 years. And it has to stop because it doesn't work. And I would challenge that it never worked. It gave short-time results, but I will challenge that it has never had full-time uh, results. But that's an argument that a lot of people can make. But I do know vehemently, and I will strongly, is that we have to change the way we police these cities. And that change has to come from a combination of the law enforcement world who's willing to admit mistakes, willing to realize that they don't have all the answers, and then the advocacy world, the, the activist community like yourself, they realize that there's an aspect of this that you may not realize, what you can bring to the table and what we can bring to the table together, mm -hmm. that we can totally change how we please. I, I, I actually don't see any other way that we can have any type of uh, a fair and equitable and safe results for, uh, for, this, for the country. So from your point of view, just listening, you know, we're, we, we're in a very a big stage of violence right now. All over, especially in New York City, violence is up really high. There are calls for more police. There are calls for defunding police. There's call for all these things. You being a, a former police officer and, and identifying with the community, what do you think 
is the next step? What do you think really needs to be done to to either to stop the violence and build stronger police and community together? So there's no there's no one answer to that. But the first thing is this: is that you have to have uh, a system. When I say you, the community, right, the people, and even internally, because internally you have police officers that not that don't even trust the the concept of policing. You have to build that trust. And that trust is not designed to take people to basketball games, not to take seniors to uh, shopping. There's got to be a real trust that government is working for the people and that policing is here to help my life better, right? The litmus test has got to be when the average person who is not committing a crime, which is 99% of us, 99.5% of us, when they see a police officer, do they feel relieved? that they feel happy. And the police have to figure that out. Why, why does that not happen? And I'm gonna profess that there are very simple solutions that people are willing to stop and listen. It's not as complicated. Once you have that trust, then you have to be able to make these policies that are coming out that are beneficial for the community. So I'll give you a point and example. When we in the police department come out with a strategy, and let's just say a gun strategy to apprehend guns off the street, there's no community involvement in that at all. We just, we're, we're coming up with just the data, the people who wear uniform, and this is what we think that's going to happen, that's going to reduce the amount of guns that's on the street. But there's no, there's, there's the religious community does no pine in that. The activist community does no pine in that. The grandmother community does not opine in that. Industry does no pine in that. And there's so much that we could receive from these individuals, from these entities, that we can now come up with a very comprehensive, stronger strategy to bring guns up the street where everybody's in the same boat and everybody now is going to live and die with those results. And we don't do that because we have been brought up in a system that we know what's best for you, so sit back. And that mindset has got to, has got to change immediately. Mm. So when you hear defund the police, what does it, how do you feel about that? Well, I don't, see, I don't, you know, when I, and I get to ask the question a lot to you, I don't know what defund the police, quote unquote, what it means, right? So defund the police. I think that um, I'm not amiss to saying is that the funding of policing um, has been overly funded. It's a very real possibility. I think every city agency, um, government agency needs to go through extensive reviews on whether or not, one, you're overfunded, and two, whether or not the money is being used correctly. But if defunded police is used in a manner of punishment, that we're looking to punish you because of past or even current misdeeds, then I certainly do not agree with that. If we do the review, we may realize that policing uh, needs to be overfunded, but the manner in which you're applying policing may not be. And a point of example I'll give you is that if we found out, and I'll just pick on one agency just because I like to pick on them, and when I'm picking on them, I'm picking on myself, New York City Police Department. And I'm throwing out a number here. These numbers are not factual. If they have $10 million for artificial intelligence to put up cameras in the community and we're looking to use this artificial intelligence to, 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 to uh, gather intel on people who are committing crime. Well, maybe that needs to be $5 million. And maybe the key people in the community need to understand exactly what the policies are and what the stakeholders and, and what's going at stake and what we're trying to accomplish. Because they, in fact, can give you some information that maybe enables you to do it differently and cheaper. So defunding it at that point is not a punitive, it's just actually smart economically. But then we may realize that we may need to put $15 million in there. And that only is going to come when you have multiple people at the table. I'll just give you a quick example. When I was tasked with the, the borough commander 
Manhattan North. And for the people who are not from New York and may not know, a borough commander in the New York City Police Department is in charge of all of the uh, police services in a certain area. And in New York City, we break it up. Uh, most of the boroughs are broken up into two, not all. But in Manhattan, it's broken up into two. So I was responsible for all policing from 59th Street up until uh, to the areas of the Bronx from river to river. And I was tasked with, uh, when I first took over, the upcoming African-American Day Parade. And I remember the police commissioner at the time says that I want the violence to stop because we were averaging approximately 12 shootings uh, during that parade. And he said, we have to stop the violence. And when I did the comprehensive plan, I didn't call in my police commanders because if they knew how to stop it during the parade, then I would never have been assigned there to stop it in the first place. Mm. I went out there, did an extensive review with the community. And I remember specifically, it was, it was, it was multiple. The whole plan was based on what, in fact, how the community would minimize violence in their now, one idea, I'll just use an example. You know, when we use Adam Thane Powell, it's a very big street. It's divided by a center path. And this came from a meeting I had on 125th Street. And the person said, it was a group of people, uh, organization, they said, why don't you keep the second part of that open on the, uh, the west side of the street? Because the parade is only going on the, up the east side. But that traffic, in fact, would kind of regulate the area to back to some type of normalcy and create a whole different mindset. Therefore, now you have less areas. We could actually use the traffic as sort of like a, a form of security. And it worked magnificently. And this I mean, came from a community person. Every idea I used, and from that day, we did not take one shooting. And I remember that morning, the commissioner said to me, I mean, that night after that, he said, we didn't take one shooting. And I remember joking with him. It says, I don't, I don't, I don't take shootings. I said, I, I don't tolerate shootings on my watch. And, and see, I just want to be very clear about that. And I want to minimize the contribution to the men and women of the police department because their contribution is very full. The ideas, the specifics, try this and do that, that came from the community. Mm. I was tasked with, and he, he did that because he tasked me with stopping the violence at um, uh, the uh, the pre uh, uh, West Indian Day parade. I mean, uh, that takes place in uh, East the New York. Juve? The Juve. The Juve. Oh my and God! So yes, we did. We did seventeen, nineteen shootings. And I remember he met me in the morning, and he says, "We didn't take any shooting. I can't remember." And that was my joke. I don't tolerate shootings. And the way we police that, when I say every, I mean single suggestion came from the community. Now I want to be very clear because then when people hear this, they say, "Well, he doesn't want to give the cops credit." Well, the contribution that the, we had, we already had. So that was a, from the, from within. I already, I already knew internally what we were doing. What you had. I what needed the extra. Mm -hmm. I needed the extra. And that came from going around to community, block association groups, finding out the people who called 311 because those are the key people concerned about the area. And each of them gives you a little bit, a little bit of an ingredient. And then you sit back and say, wow, I would have never thought of that. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden now, we took no shooting. So the, the key is getting people in to open up these dialogue, open the dialogues and understanding one thing. You don't know everything. This is what I tell my commanders. And try to figure out what you don't know. Mm. Know what you don't know, because there's people out there that know it very well. Mm. And if you're willing to be able to, you know, uh, ch uh, challenge your ego and keeping your third year open, uh, we, can, we can do this. We That's absolutely right. can do it. I say that all the time, man. You can't. You can't govern the community like the, the government 
is based on the community. It's for the people, by the people. You can't govern people the way that you want to govern them. You have to govern them the way that they see fit to be governed. So if, you, mm-hmm. if you're talking about a community and you haven't included the community, then you're actually not doing anything. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Th- th- that's the, I think that motto is perfect. What do you feel about stop and frisk? You know, this that's a good is, question. This is oh, this is where we had almost blows. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, before listen. before you before you say your answer to that, I'm gonna tell my funny joke because this is a perfect okay. time to say it. When I used to go to the police department, I used to go to NYPD basically every other day because my job was to focus on reducing gun violence, which was the crisis management system that Erica Ford, ATM, and I were mm-hmm. building together along with a bunch of other incredible people. So we were doing that, but we were also working on police brutality incidents. Um, and so I had to go, my job was to go down to the NYPD and argue with Phil Banks and everybody in his office every single day, every day I had to be down there. And so there would be times when they would allow me to come in and park in this structure and downstairs. So the commissioner knew me. He would see me in there in debate, going back and forth. And then I would literally leave the building and go outside and protest against them because it wasn't working. Nobody seemed to be getting what I was trying to say. So I would say, okay, cool. I'm calling everybody. We about to protest. And I remember vehemently one day that Phil Banks (laughs) looked at me and said, I'm going to the media and I'm going to tell everybody that you've been in this office for three days. You ate the pizza. You drunk the coffee. You drunk the tea. And then you go outside and you talk about us like... Like trash, and I'm like because it's trash up in here, and, that's it. and stop and frisk was the issue of the day that we fought over. And I remember saying that when I was out there, the first person I was gonna lock up was you. Yeah, you sure used to tell me that, and I did get locked up a few times. But go ahead. Here's what I say, and 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 I think that this is one of the major major mistakes that was made in policing. Um, and this is where the ego comes in at, not explaining what stop question of first actually was and not being able to, to realize when you have to pivot off of something uh, that's not having the effect that you wanted to. The first thing I'll say is this. A lot of people believe stop question and frisk is a policy that's made up in the basement of one police plaza or in these police agencies. They don't realize that this is a criminal procedure law. This is a law in the criminal procedure guide, which is the first cousin to the penal law. So there's a penal law and there's a criminal procedure law. The penal law tells you what is a crime. A criminal procedure law tells you how you are supposed to carry out your duties. And all of the talk for years, is that I, I find it amazing that nobody speaks about that. It's in every state's criminal procedure law. And what it states is that as a police officer, you cannot stop anybody unless these things are occurring. So when people say eliminate, stop, question, and frisk, what they're actually saying is that if you eliminate, stop, question, and frisk, then the police officers can stop you for no reason at all. This is, a, this is a criminal procedure law. This is not something that was created by any police department. This is part of the law. But I and thought Ray is, Kelly was responsible for how stop, question, and frisk came to be. And that's and, and, and we, we this has gone to federal court. This has gone to, this has gone to uh, new, millions of hours. This is a law, a criminal procedure law. And what it does, it is designed to curtail police officers' responsibility. It says... You can't stop somebody unless these factors are present. So when you say eliminate, stop, question, and frisk, it's almost a misnomer. It doesn't exist because what you're saying now is that the police officers now don't need a reason and they can stop you. Well, I, what think, the problem I think the was, problem is for us is that 
the way they're addressing it, the way they're applying it. Like, Absolutely. Okay. They weren't applying stop question the friends. They were, we were, right, we were taking the criminal procedure law and we were applying it in a manner, right, that it should not have been applied. And I'll answer the question. That wasn't stop question the friends. That was unconstitutional policing. So do I support stop questioning the frisk? Absolutely. Don't support unconstitutional policing. So I'll give you an example to the audience so they can understand. And I will say this, and, and T, you know, I, I consider myself to be a very, very humble person. Um, if you check when the numbers of stop questioning and frisk plunge dramatically, and this is, I'm not patting myself on the back. This is, you can prove this. Look at the date that I became the chief of the department. I had every single police commander call. Every single one called and says, if you cannot run your command without making these unnecessary stops, I will find somebody that can. And from that date, they plunge. Why? Because what happens is this. It was started being used as an activity generator. It started being used to say, hey, if you're stopping people, then you're doing good policing. Mm -hmm. So you had three things that happened. One, police officers was filling out reports that they were stopping people. One, that they were not stopping. So that 640,000 number was running up and, and a third of them weren't even being stopped. A third of them was being stopped just to generate a number. Mm -hmm. They weren't being stopped to be able to commit crime, right? And then you had, what, 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 which has bothered me more than anything else, you had the, and I don't blame the police officers and the sergeants and lieutenants. They were not the ones at fault. It was the higher ranks who turned a blind eye to, in fact, that these stops that were done in an abundance, we were giving out overtime for to generate these stops. And we started saying the more cop, uh, people that you stop, quote unquote, the better police officer you are. And that is where the thing took a very nasty turn. And do you know why it continued? Because the community told us to stop. And when you tell us to stop, how dare you tell us something? We know what's best. That's right. Why? Because you're never sitting at the table. The ego. So we know what's best for you. And if we had looked at it and says, Look at these police officers who don't make any arrests, who are, no, who, 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 who are not looking to uh, actually stop crime, but they have 15, 20, 30 stops a day, a, a, a month. So they're stopping people just to stop people. They're not stopping people. And it was not their fault. It was the people like myself. And I'm saying that because I'm in that pool that was the decision makers. But why? So, but you don't like the word quotas. You keep telling me that it's not a quota. What do you call it then? Well, it's a, it, it was a it was a management tool that disguised as that the more stops we make, then the more we can control crime. And now, so I want you to just I want to explain that to be very clear. If you go and you stop a hundred people on the corner, you are going to reduce crime. You're gonna you're gonna get the guns off the street. You're gonna reduce violence, right? Because we're not we weren't concerned with one the unconstitutional aspect of it. Right. And two, more importantly than that, we weren't concerned with how we were making people feel because the bottom line was crime was being reduced and that became our litmus test. And it didn't have to become our litmus test. Our litmus test could have been a lot better, a lot different. We could have still reduced the crime. We could have not fractured these, uh, these communities if we had brought them to the table. And we brought you to the table, Tamika, and you came in like this, right? Y'all doing this, y'all doing that, and then we got offended. So we got a little tight. Well, you shouldn't be doing shooting shoulder that, and all of a sudden, nothing good comes out of it. But if we had allowed that initial, okay, we're expecting to hear from people that's very upset because they have been 
have an adverse relationship with the community for many, many years. Now, after the first layer and the second layer, now, T, you start seeing the great work the police department is doing, and we start seeing the value that you can help us, help you, help us, you, so forth and so on. And now we could have evolved into uh, an area in law enforcement where it's truly not the police policing the community, but the community policing themselves. And I have a lot of faith and hope in, in Eric Adams uh, as the next uh, uh, probable next mayor of New York City, because working with him, I, I, I believe that he gets it. The community has to be a major part, a major part of policing constitutionally and driving crime down in this particular city. And you could and you you could take it from me. It can be done, and it can be done a lot easier than a lot of people are making out to be right now. Well, the jury is still out on what um, Eric, who I love, you know, Eric is a friend. However, I, he and I have difference of opinion on a number of issues, and obviously. Policing is one of them. Um, but, you know, I, I know Eric and I know that at his core, he loves black people and he loves our community. And um, and, you know, and I, I also know of his intentional work to try to help uh, address some of the issues within the police department for so many years. So we'll see. But I plan, just like I used to be on your heels, to be on his uh, doing whatever is necessary to bring awareness every single day to our issues and to make sure that we hold him accountable. And we want to thank you for coming on. I want to say that when you became chief of departments, things changed because you was really the big fish. Like you were running the police department. Um, and I see the work that happened and I know the direction that you were taking the NYPD. And I think it was unfortunate that you were not, and I know this is not your words, it's mine. I, I think it was unfortunate that you were not um, uh, appointed to be commissioner. I think you would have done an incredible job at commissioner. I still think that you should be drafted for the commissioner um, job under the new mayor. But I appreciate it when you were within the community affairs department. When you ran that department, I saw and learned so much about what the NYPD could be. Um, and so I hope that, you know, I, and, and now I'm be honest with you, while I think that, you know, those individuals who are there now, do I think that they're trying to do a good job? Certainly. But it's not the same aggressive, bold work that I saw happening when you were in that position. So sometimes we rise in the ranks. And it's good that we make it to other successful places, but sometimes the work that we were doing before we got to this, you know, high profile, high calling, um, was actually more effective. So that's just my personal opinion. Yeah. Look, <laughs> well, 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 thank you. A lot, there's a lot of good people at NYPD, and they, I think a lot of them are just uh, waiting to be awoken. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm relatively optimistic, and this is coming from a pessimist, I'm relatively optimistic that we can actually turn uh, this thing around. We, more people have got to come to the table and the, the police department can never be as smart as the police department community together. And they have to, and they have to understand that. Yeah. Well, we, we hope that you, you get that message across because you know, the reality of the situation is we, we understand the necessity of just safety, you know, and, and, and what it's going to take to be safe is the community, and the police department coming and understanding they both have a role in that safety. So we appreciate you. Until you know. we're able to abolish the police, but that's a whole yeah, different day's conversation. Yeah. 
Hopefully we don't need them. Look, right. if, if everybody all right, ain't no crime going to go on. We can That's have public safety that is controlled by the community. But I haven't gotten you there yet. We'll keep working on it. Thanks. Thank you so do. much, okay. PB3, uh, sure. Chief Thank Philip you. Banks. Thanks, Thanks for being Thank with us. Thank you very us. much. Thanks for having me on. All Thank right. you. The final season of Power Book 2 Ghost is here, and no one's future is safe. After surviving a hit on her life, Monet, played brilliantly by Mary J. Blige, has to reckon with what led her to almost lose everything and to atone for the life she has forced her children to live. And on the other side of the coin, Davis, portrayed by the multi-talented Method Man, is suspended and on the verge of losing his law license. Desperate to survive, he fully embraces the criminal underbelly of his enterprise and finds himself working for both sides, loyal to whichever one benefits him most. And then, of course, there's Tariq, who finds himself at rock bottom and facing threats from every angle. With his future in the game in serious doubt and his family's safety on the line, will he lean into the St. Patrick name and do whatever has to be done to get back on top? Like father, like son. Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more, connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and an Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T, connecting changes everything. Limited time offer requires 0% APR, 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year? Their year. These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. That's how we own it! So listen, I'd like to welcome somebody to the show that, another one of our friends. <laughs> our friends. You know, we always, we seem to have dope friends, man. This brother right here is somebody who I've watched throughout the years. You know, somebody that I've modeled. And I've, you know, I've admired from afar and then became really close with him, just watching him do his coming home from prison. Yeah. You know, coming home from prison and understanding his purpose, you know, and directing from the street life and changing his whole trajectory, mm -hmm. making movies and making documentaries. And amazing family Just amazing work, man. man. Family amazing man. Family man. That's family right. Man. He, was, <laughs> he was doing interviews. First person you see doing That's interviews right. with do-rags on. Yeah, Like, yep, he made yep. it cool for, to be from the hood and just transition and not make it look corny. You know what I'm saying? So I just want to say welcome to our brother, Sansom Styles. He yeah. has he has a documentary, or what, is it a documentary called Killer yeah. the Beef? Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yes, yeah, man. I appreciate y'all. Um, we all in this together for sure. Um, 
The documentary is called Killing Beef, Gun Violence in the Black Community. And it's on all platforms now. I have a global distribution deal with Synergon. Mm. Um, so they distribute them worldwide. So now it's on Apple TV, Amazon, Tubi, and, you know, to be continued, Xbox, iTunes. It's all over now. Well, you can get a documentary on Xbox? Yeah, wow. I, I didn't know that, too, until Synergon, you know, they sent me the list. So the young people can see it on Xbox. Yeah. Wow, that's that's incredible, Samson. You yeah. know, I, I've known you for a long time as well. And it wasn't until one day I was having a conversation with my son and he was like, well, you know, Samson was in prison and he started telling me the story. I had no idea. No. And I've known you for as you, you know, we know years and years. It's been decades. And I had no idea that you had been in prison. Like I my first encounter with you was a guy who was like, you know, dope, like doing great work and, and you know, really deeply into your production and, um, you know, working with your wife, who I love and admire. And I, and I just, I had no idea you carry yourself in a way that you're not like walking around with your issues and the trauma of things that you've been through on your sleeve. So I just want to salute you for that. Uh, thank you. Um, I just learned to appreciate to appreciate life and appreciate the second chances and to be able to, to affect change with storytelling. Mm. So, you know, when I, when I ran across that profession and I really ran across it, you know, and I found out that, you know, that was my calling. And it's something that I would well, do before you free. Before you tell us that, before you tell us about your work, tell us your story, what happened to you. And then, and, and of course you've used your, uh, your pain, if you will, and turned it into purpose. So let's go in that direction to, first of all, help people understand your background. Right. So um, I did seven years in prison altogether, really nine years. Um, I did, I went in twice. So first, you know, I had a two to four, and then I went in for a one and a half to three, and then I got a fed charge. I had to do 21 months for um uh, 18 U.S.C. 23, destruction of removal of property to prevent a seizure. It's like a white collar type of crime that they just put on me. Um, you know, it just gave me some extra time to do. So when I came home, you know, I was a product of the streets. So that's the only way I knew how to get money. And when I came home from prison in 2004, the DVDs were out, like smack DVDs. And, you know, um, those DVDs, it was like the DVD circuit. So I said to myself, like, you know, how can I get into that game and make some money without, you know, selling any drugs or getting in, you know, put myself in a position to go back to prison. <laughs> so I started filming, I started filming uh, these girls that fight in an underground fight club. First of all, I started the fight club for these girls that fight in Brownsville. And, um, you know, they was always causing havoc and getting in trouble fighting. So I said, you know, let's make this constructive. So I started a fight club where they could show up, bare knuckles, they fight and they win prizes, you know, they win money. I had local businesses or whatever donate uh, or they are better on the fight. It was totally illegal. <laughs> but um, once I got with the right people, they said, you know, yo, um, don't just do uh, CDs or, or DVDs with this. This is a story. This is a documentary. So um, we started filming it as a documentary and Upon shopping the trailer, I runs into um, 
by way of Q-tip, because my man used to manage Q-tip before he passed away, and he passed away while I was on my bed. When I came home, Q-tip was trying to, you know, help me get acclimated back in society as far as even texting. I didn't know how to text and all that. Things changed. So this was after your first bid? No, this is after the second. This is after okay. the second. Okay. But after this, it was a wrap. The first bid was in 94. I came home in 97, then went back in 2000 mm. and came back in, um, you know, 2004. So um, Q-tip was helping me get acclimated and... um. Once I got the my DVD done and I had a trailer, I called him and um and I called his role manager, this brother named Light. And Light told me, he said, yo, I'm, you need to meet Nelson George. Mm -hmm. So he introduced me to Nelson George and then come to find out Nelson George was from Brownsville. I didn't really realize who he was at the time that, you know, that he was this um, renowned author and, you know, did so many things and helped Chris Rock career. And, you know, he he had a big influence behind the scene. So he's watching it. I'm not knowing who he is. And he said, um, yo, this is good. You know, um, my man, this is what he said, my man is the president of BET. And mm -hmm. I think he'd like to see this. He mm -hmm. said, Who else bit who else you shown this to? And I told him, you know, we showed it to um uh Sheila Nevins at HBO, we showed it to this one, we showed it to that one, and you know, it was kind of some interest, you know, nobody said no. And he said, yo, give us a shot. Like we have, um, he said, Reginald Hutland is my man and he has over $300 million in BET to turn this, the network around. And this is one of the properties that I think we could, you know, do something with. So, you know, you hear stuff all the time, us from the streets, you know, you hear stuff. I'm not, you know, so I didn't budge on it. And he looked at me, he was like, yo, did you hear what I said? Like, and I'm like, yeah, I heard what you said. You know, if it's serious, call me, you know? And I just gave him my number. I didn't even take his. And he called me. And so my first meeting, he called me to BT to speak with the president of BT, who at that time was Reginald Hutland. Mm. And you know Reginald Hutland, he's that deal. So my first meeting was with Reginald Hutland, Nelson George, Selwyn Hines, all the top execs. Wow. And they wanted, you know, they gave me money to complete the film, six digits, you know, to complete the film. Mm. And then they said, yo, you, 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 you come off well on camera. You know, we want to give you a shot to, you know, to um, possibly be on BET. And I was like, you know, I never wanted to be on TV. And my son, you know, Cash from the Streets, we not too far in the That's camera. That's right, we ain't trying to you be You know, okay. so, right. yeah, I didn't have too many pictures or nothing like that back in those days, you know? So I was like, you know, I don't know about this. But once I found out it was all gonna be in a positive light, and then I get to share my perspective and not glorify anything that was in my past, that, you know, I was I was with it. And then it was successful. And then from there, you know, I took to it like a fish to water, man. I knew I was still on federal supervised release and on state parole at the same time. So I had all these restrictions on me. They didn't even want me to leave the bubble without going through the proper channels. So once they knew I was working at BET, they, they kind of like eased up on me. They'll pop up on the site sometime when we shoot and they wouldn't say who they were to everybody, you know, as far as the crew. But the supervisor at that time, they made sure that they talked to him and that I was actually doing the work and stuff like that. So they kind of fell off me. And then um, I found my purpose. I just started telling people stories that were significant to me. Mm. Like one of my mans came home from prison from doing like 25. And, and I was like, you know what? What is he going to do now? What doors are open for him? 
And, you know, they was giving me free reign. So I was like, look, I want to do a story on my man. He just came home from doing 25. And they was, you know, giving me that room to do that. And I just started seeing the power and telling people stories and being able to tell it the right way. Um, even with you, Tamika, I, I got you in early times. Yep, I got some did. footage of you. Yeah, you sure you know, did. A, a few times, you know, and 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 even um, uh, Sister Erica Ford. I got her before she even had her first office. I got some footage that I can oh, show. Oh, you do? You have old school footage, for I got sure. old school footage when she was, you know, in her mother's basement, man, conducting business from, her, from you know, God bless her, her mother passed. But um, when she was conducting business from the basement, to be able to capture that and document that and to be able to look now and to see the progress that people made and then some of it might have, your, 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 you know, me doing what I've done and exposing what they're doing may have even elevated them in some way that they might have been seen on this show or that show that I helped produce, it's you dope. know, because there's nothing negative attached to it. That's right. So what what is Killing the Beef about? Killing Beef is about, um, it's a double entendre. So we know beef, killing beef can be somebody taking somebody's head off, which is killing beef. And it could be, you know, a resolution resolving the beef, which is, yo, kill, kill that beef, squash it, dead it, right? So I use that um, because that's what I did in that documentary. I killed the beef with one of the guys that shot me up in 88. I got shot five times by two, two cats. And um, when one of the cats he had came home from prison, when he came home, instead of us continuing the beef, you know, we wound up getting together and talking to these youth and sharing our story. And um, youth that was in detention centers, alternative to incarceration programs and schools. And the way we did it, it was done in such a way that was so impactful. Um, I said, yo, I got to start recording this. I got to start recording these sessions. And, and make something out of it because people are not gonna believe it. This type of stuff don't usually happen. So we put the doc together and it's been like very successful. People that watch it, you know, it's been positive response, no negative response whatsoever. I mean, not one negative comment saying any anything bad about it. So this person shot you and then you guys got together. How did you find him? And what well, was that like? This is like common, what happens in the hood, right? Um, this is in the 80s when I used to, you know, I used to rob drug dealers. I used to stick up drug dealers. And, you know, I used to, um, I used to be one of those active shooters in the neighborhood. So what happened is I robbed somebody for their stuff. Um, you know, I had robbed this dude, stuck him up, tied him up and stuff, and um, took everything that was in his safe and his jewelry. So I thought it was his, but come to find out it belonged to this other guy. He made me think it was his and like he's balling like that. So I got him, but it belonged to another guy. The guy that it belonged to grew up in my, in my family's building. Mm. So to the point that one of his nephews is named after my uncle. Mm. So back in the streets, I guess, you know, in those days, it doesn't matter. So when he rolled up on me about the situation and with his guns out, it was, I mean, with his gun out, it was on the 4th of July. When he rolled up on me, you know, I tried to convince him to go around the corner because there's too many kids outside. It was the 4th of July, it was a cookout. So there was a lot of action and stuff going on. So I was like, you know, let's go around the corner and talk. And um, 
one thing led to another. I don't want to give too much away because I even have this in the film. Oh, wow. But but what happened is um, the guy that I also robbed was with him that I didn't see. So mm. now I had two guns pointed at me. Mm. And, um, you know, the end result was I wound up getting shot up. So the guy that came behind me, I knew who he was, but the people in the area didn't know who he was. And, and, and you know, my family members didn't know. So he... He didn't get in any trouble for it. Smoke, uh, that's the guy who shot me up. He, I mean, one of the guys, the one that lived in my grandmother's building, everybody around the neighborhood knew who he was. Mm. So that was that was dumb, you know, on his part to let that the bullets fly around the kids, kids jumping around. You know, people was pissed off. My family knew him. They thought I wasn't gonna make it. So, you know, they they testified on him. A lot of the people in the neighborhood testified on him. So I didn't, and um, you know, he thought that he would be able to beat the trial because I wasn't coming to court. But they used the testimony of other witnesses and then my hospital report, and you know, he still got convicted. So when he came home, uh, I by the time he came home, I was at BET, and mm. I'm doing I'm doing great stuff now. My life changed totally around, and then I got the message. My aunt had um, texted me and said, you know, this guy's out of jail. So then I started worrying a little bit because I said, man, I don't want to get pulled back in, you know, to this, to this type of life. So I asked my aunt, do she know where he's staying at? And that was just for me to know in case something happened to, you know, to if, if he was going to come looking for me, then I would be pulled into the game right all over again while I'm doing this great work already at BET. That, that was that thin line between the streets and where I was at now being legal. So um, I had his, one of his boys reached out to me because he didn't want to see nothing happen to me and he didn't want to see nothing happen to him. So he reached out to me and said, yo, would you talk to, do you, would you mind sitting down and talking to him? And I said, yeah, I'll talk to him. You know, gave him my number. I said, tell him to call me. So when he called me, you know, we spoke for a couple of hours on the mm -hmm. phone. That first conversation, we spoke for a couple of hours about the incident, about what was wrong about the incident, um, about how the young ones are coming up now mm -hmm. and, 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 and what he was doing in prison as far as he was facilitating talking to the young to try to, the, 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 you know, the young people coming to prison to try to deter them from going back to that way of life and what I was doing on the outside. So it was a perfect match for me to invite him because I was already speaking to youth at detention centers and stuff, just being on BET and them knowing where I came from. They was listening to me. They was relating to me. So I said, I might as well bring him on with me mm. to tell our story. And at the same time, we could become valuable to each other so we won't have to worry about killing each other. Let's do it. If I'm valuable to you and I'm bringing you around and, you know, I'm helping you and our main focus is to help these young people be on the right track and we on that same page, then we could do this together. Exactly. And, so and that's, 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 that's what we want to focus on. That's, that's what our main focus is. You know, this is like our last episode and we, I want to have a, we need to do a whole hour of you, just me and you just having this conversation. Yeah. So what I want you to tell us, right? This is about gun violence and all of the, you know, the violence that's going on in our community. I want you to give us like a final word that you would say to these young kids that's out here 
shooting? Like, wh what do you tell them? You know, being a victim, also being a shooter, just understanding both dynamics of what's going on, just seeing what's going on in these streets right now. What would you say to them? Like, if you, if you had to sit, what you say right now? Right now, I would tell the youth that are pulling those triggers to know your history, man, to understand why you act in the way that you do. Because the more you understand, the less likely you are to pull up that trigger. And to know that this isn't because you're animals or that you were raised a certain way and or that you had bad parenting, although some of that may play a part. But the main thing is that it's the social economic conditions that we're in that causes this to happen. And before Black people started occupying these spaces, they were immigrant white people that were occupying these spaces. And they had the same exact problem that we have today. Mm -hmm. They had a violence, a white-on-white -white violence, which wasn't stated white-on-white -white violence, but they had the same thing going on. And what happened? The government came in. They gave them the GI loans. They helped subsidize their moves from the, the urban areas into the suburbs. and then had them um, get homes, affordable homes, which later increased in value. And that's what ceased that white on white violence. Mm. That's dope. And a lot that's of people don't know that. For. That's what we're fighting for. Samson, we appreciate you so much for coming on and we want to support you. Uh, tell everybody again, the name of your film and also where they can find it. Thank you. Um, the documentary is Killing Beef, Gun Violence in the Black Community. You can see it on Tubi TV. You can see it on Amazon. You can see it on Apple TV, Xbox, Fandango. Um, it's it's all over. It's Just all Google over it and you'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Thank we you appreciate so much. You, King, we yeah. love you. Appreciate y'all. We got love work to do, bro. man. We got work to do. I'm gonna hit you yes, later. Sir. Yes, sir. Peace. Thank you. That's good stuff. I mean. You know, there's much more that we could talk to Chief Banks about. And if I was a viewer, I would sit back and be like, okay, that was great that we learned some things about his ideas on policy and strategy. We also learned, you know, where he says there's it's a big failure, what's happening, always has been. But you I know what I didn't get, though? But Because he never actually told us the process to stop asking Fritz, right? Stop questioning Fritz. Stop questioning Fritz. He didn't really yeah, give he's us... Yeah, he's one of those he, guys He moved that, around it because I said, okay. Okay, what is like? What is the process of it? Like, I don't think we did. We ask. No, him you asked him. What did he think about stop questioning? But Chris? We didn't, he said there's a process, and that's what it's not being implemented right. Yeah, right now. Well, because it should be happening everywhere to anybody. That's the problem. The issue is that if you're gonna use stop questioning Fisk and Frisk pop properly, it should mean that, and I really mean this in in the craziest right way. If we know that young men are not getting guns from any manufacturer that they are making or, you know, they don't have direct connections to be able to pull these guns into the community, it means they're coming from somewhere. And we know that oftentimes these weapons start out being trafficked from places and they could, in fact, be in the homes, the basement, the car trunks of people who don't look like us, people who are more affluent, yes. people who have, you know, more access and relationships. So they got to be stopped. But that's the hard part, too. though. That means that you actually got to do work, right? You right. Gotta, you got to do investigations, right? So the lazy cop says to himself, you know what? I'm not going to wait. I know this neighborhood right here. There should be some guns somewhere here. So I'm just going to pull over 
everybody in this neighborhood. Because I know this is where crime happens. We're just going to pull over everybody in this neighborhood. And eventually I'll get probably 5% of them will have some guns. And mm-hmm. the other 95 that whose rights are violated, who hey, really who cares, cares about, about that? that? Right. Of not just suspicion because you look a certain way, right? They should have to. It's just like when you get pulled over, mm-hmm. right? You got a tail light is broke. You didn't make a right turn. You can't. You're not supposed to just pull somebody over legally. You can just not pull somebody over because you you looked at them and didn't like the way they looked, right? So those same steps should be implemented in the start question. Well, there has to be something argument, that you've done wrong. But I like think the, just walking down a block and you decide you want to search me because I look I look suspicious to you is not. That's not anything. That is a definite violation. But I think that the argument that some would make, right, is that it is profiling. I agree with you. Yeah. And that some of their work is, in fact, profiling. That if I know it's brown skin, slim frame, uh, you know, baseball cap, um, outside on this block around this time, maybe red jacket, we go out and we stop, question, and frisk all the individuals who look like that, who fit that description. The problem well, is that... Wait, wait, wait. Let me... I just want to... What description? This, description of what I just said. That's the person. That, because that well, who is... is he? Because why, what is he the description of? The reason of? why he's the, the, he's the description of is because the people from the building, the people from the community... Oh, that makes have sense. ...have reported... No, oh. but let me, let me just... Let me finish my point. The people from the community have reported that that's what the guy was wearing or that's how he looked or this is how Ray Ray usually show, you know, is what he he has a red jacket or it's got a stripe or a thing and then da, da, da. or the gang that he's a part of, they wear some type of red around their arms, they wear this or that and that becomes a part of the profiling, right? Mm-hmm. The problem is that my father wears the same shit right? My brother wears the same shit. You wear the same shit. A college, a, because you know why? It comes from cultural things that we see on TV every day, the music we listen to, the artists. So you can't use that as a profiling mechanism because everybody's got Trayvon Martin's hood over their head. Everybody. Yeah. In a little bit of rain. And so what I'm saying is, if Stop Questioning Frisk is going to work properly, it has to be used in communities that may actually have the drugs bringing them into our communities, right? The bags is getting, the first of all, we know. The shit is getting dropped off to us. And it's coming from, okay, maybe there's a different investigation. That's the the drug force and the federal government that might be working on when it's coming off the ships. Because remember, somehow or another, they just stopped talking about Chase Bank and how they found tanks in the water um, with those those big carts. What are those things? Those those big old, what are those things called? Those big cartons. The cartons with a bunch of drugs in it. That was in the paper. I don't know what happened. The story just kind of went away. But there were drugs. Lots and lots. Like millions of dollars worth of drugs. Right? Yeah. So that, we don't know what happened with that. But maybe there's a different force that deals with that. Maybe there's a different force that deals with the big, the big, big guy who has the relationship between whatever country and America who has the, 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 you know, the drugs and all of that stuff. But when you start coming to who's picking it up from him or them and bringing it to meet the black guy or the brown guy, yeah. that's where, 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 what happened with them getting arrested? Because they live right here. 
They might live in Queens in a nice little house. They might live in Westchester somewhere. But why we don't go stop stop questioning Frisk in those neighborhoods to try to find out if they the ones that's got the, the, the real dope? Okay. I mean, they don't want to do the work. They not, no, it's not about not wanting to do the work. It's that those communities do not want chaos, conflict. They don't want to bother those people. Those people are considered to be, they're, they're not, it's easier they don't want to do the work, right? It's easier to just criminalize the street hustler that has a few thousand dollars than to have to walk into the problem of dealing with the person who has the millions. And the boss. They don't want to get the boss. And or the boss's guy. Or the boss is paying. And you that know, for that me, too. well, the, and and that's another side of it. So no, nobody wants to talk about that. Not even Chief Banks. I mean, I, but the, that's the thing. In a longer conversation, you could get to that. And that's why we did the six episodes on gun violence the way that we have. And we need to do more because we want to break down some of the things that he was saying. Um, you know, in 20 minutes, you don't get an opportunity to really get into some things. One of the things I wanted to ask him about, and I didn't think about it until the interview was over, is the fact that while he was chief of departments, Eric Garner was killed. You know? And... What is his perspective on that? There were some people who said it was a direct order from his office for people to go clean up the issue that was happening there, which was folks complaining about people selling cigarettes or CDs or whatever the hell was being supposedly, allegedly sold in that area. Cigarettes, yeah. Well, well, I guess there are a lot of questions, but I, I definitely liked Samson's interview, you know, and I want to watch the Killing yeah. Beef. I want to definitely yeah, watch that because too. that's something that's, when you sit down with somebody who shot you and then you guys come together and then start educating these young kids, like that's that's powerful. Just understanding the mindset that you have to have to just forgive somebody who shot you and, and, and sit down with that person. You know, a lot of these kids don't understand that. That's why beef continues to just continue to spread through our community. So I think that's something real impo impactful and powerful and needed at this time. And it's part of my boycott Black Murder campaign that we started so i definitely appreciate yeah. his interview is that one thing i do know is that samson i agree with chief banks about this one thing that you got to bring the two entities together because i think when you have somebody like a chief banks and someone like samson sitting down working together every single day where samson is getting a paycheck like a salary to sit yeah. down show up and talk about the mindset that goes on because first of all samson robbed somebody so yeah. you can't you can't skip past that yeah, he that was... caused what became the and response it, and once again i tell you it's about poverty yeah. You know, poverty is violence. In our community, people rob because they want to have money. Things that come, you know, they, they lack resources. They lack finances. So that caused somebody to get shot, yeah. you know. So once again, man, dope episode. Both of them had different perspectives that, you know, I appreciate it. And, you know, I hope our viewers appreciate and understand as we continue to just try to give content that is relevant and needed, you know. So And yeah. that brings me to a, a little more off topic. Um. To my, I don't get it. And um, it's kind of kind of controversial, you know. Yeah. We've been talking really? about it's always controversial. It's always controversial, you know. But we've been talking about this the baby situation, you know. Um, the baby. The baby. D A baby. And um, my my mama says, is it little or duh? Duh. It's duh. <laughs> it's duh. And um. There's so many different perspectives I've seen about 
what's needed. I've been thinking, right, and I've been thinking about his statements. You know, me and you had a discussion about it, about his statements and how he went about it and just just overall and just hip-hop, you know, what hip-hop is founded on, you know, the whole expression of hip-hop and how it plays into this situation. And, you know, of course, we don't want anybody to be harmed or disrespected or feel violated. You know, but when we look at what the core of hip hop is, mm. core of hip hop is about different expressions, and some of them are very vulgar, some of them are very violent, some of the the hip hop lyrics lead to actual murder. You know, some of them are about actual murder, some of them are about actual crimes. You know, some of them are misogynistic at its core, like. You know, the, the whole culture of it is so entangled in a lot of things that are violent and negative. And there's no responsibility from any of these entities and businesses that decided that they don't want to support. You know, when you when you read the statements that they made, you know, you know, we want to be on a humanitarian. You know, these are great things. And I don't get how entities who've supported the annihilation, you know, who've cultivated, who actually incentivized, you know, negativity and violence and all those things within our communities, you know, now take a moral stand and decide that this right here is something that we can't support, but you can support that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's a contradiction. It's it's always hypocritical, but I still... As you've said, and I and and um, we've ha- we've had this conversation several times, on camera, off camera. It's been a debate among uh, all of us and a lot of people within the industry, people who come from different perspectives. I think it speaks to yes, there's always a need to challenge industry because industry can absolutely be um, exploitative, if you will. Right? I don't know if that's the right way to say it. But you get my point. Um, But I think it's more so of us challenging ourselves. We need to ask ourselves as a people, why is it that we are so undervalued? And what can we now do to ensure that, because I think there are some guys out here who didn't even want to rap about negativity, but they found out that it was the only way that they were going to be able to get a record deal because... They're not pushing Common and Myson and others like you in the ways in which they uh, could and should, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we should find a way to ensure that the standard is changed and that the same way another community, whether you agree or not, there are people who say, well, I don't think the baby said anything that's that bad. I personally feel what he said was unnecessary and I think it was insensitive at, at best unnecessary and insensitive but i think it wasn't so much what he said it was what he did afterwards that created even more of a colossal problem right and i think he probably at this point has learned but i'm not so concerned i don't want to spend my time i think actually i think what he's learned is that you you don't certain things you don't have, you can't have your own opinion publicly mm-hmm. i don't think i don't think and that's just me being honest. I don't think 
he didn't agree with what he said. I don't think what he the statement he wrote came from a place of you know what, maybe you're right. No, I don't. I don't think that at all. I think he was forced into realizing that you're not as big as you think you are, right? You you got 20 million followers. You make all this money, but you can't. Even if you think that, you can't say that. Right, and I think that's what we want from. That's what I I know I want from police. I want it from elected officials. I know that changing people's racist views or harmful views or whatever about our communities is probably never going to happen. And I don't have time for that. But what I do want is for our communities to have standards that set and ways in which we go about letting it be known that if you cross this line, we will take everything that you have. That's why ending qualified immunity is important to me because that says... Now I can hold you personally responsible. So it's not that my tax dollars are constantly going to be recycled into a, 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 a system in a pot that pays people that get abused. I want you to have to pay, right? And I think that that's, that's what, you know, to your point, we've learned that whether or not you agree with his statements or feel it was this hard or that hard or whatever, you, you can stand wherever you want to stand. But the one thing you know, is that certain communities demand that you respect their issues and you're going to learn today. And I want black people to have the same exact power. And that's why, and it doesn't mean that we can say, well, because I think, you know, I love verses between the locks and dipset, but I know I heard a lot of misogyny and a lot of violence. And I know that even in the, the show and, the, and, and what I saw going on when you were standing right there and y'all enjoyed it because this is an era that we come from. But I saw the incidents brewing on the stage that had to be mitigated by people because the type of music that they were listening to, it brings about a certain level of, of frustration and, you know, all of that. Heightened energy. Heightened energy is a better word mm -hmm. rather than just even saying frustration. It's, it's, but it's, the but frustration it's, it's, it's was the one sport. side wasn't winning. But it's the sport, though. You understand what I'm saying? It's just like when you when you put when you put LeBron James against um they Monte get Kumbo, into it. they gonna it's gonna be physics, gonna be elbows, and at the end of the game, you hug like they did. It's and that's what hip hop is. It's always been. I think what I, I think what we should be doing, and and this is just like a lesson, right? I think there is a, a direct anger by by heterosexual black men, right? There's an anger and there's a belief that another lifestyle is being amplified more than heterosexual black men. That's that's just a belief, right? And I think what we need to start doing as heterosexual black men who may feel that, not talk about negative about somebody else, right? The same way somebody is amplifying theirs, the that's same powerful. way little Nas X is able to go up there and, and advocate for his lifestyle and how he believes, go up there and advocate for yours. You don't have to say negative things about little Nas X. Right, right? right. You don't have to you don't have to say, oh, this and that about no, don't do that. Make your lifestyle prevalent to you. It, promote it the same way that everybody else promotes Get it. behind people that's Get doing behind positive people that's doing things the positive and, things. Yeah, man. The men that move the way you want to. You don't have to talk about somebody that's not doing yeah. all the I mean, I love to. seeing all of y'all show up for 19 Keys. You know, I was out of town. I couldn't be there. But I love seeing y'all show up. This is a man's man. Yeah. And I saw other men's men standing next to him. You, Jim Jones, and others who were there. What's my brother's name? The the artist uh, who's in the Nation of Islam. Oh, Donique. Donique. That's my man. Like, 
I saw y'all there supporting him and being there to make sure that he knew that, you know, he as a king is respected in, in the community and that, and, 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 I, and all of y'all that posted about it gave him more people to have access to him. And certainly I want to support him. Same thing with Jay Morrison. You know, he's out here doing the corner classes. We want to support that and uplift it. I don't think that we need to, because by the way, the problem is that we're not, I don't believe that we're going to win a battle of oppression Olympics, trying to decide whose oppression is worse or more or whatever. You know, there was a whole controversy that happened around me saying that sexism is worse than racism in the context of an interview where if you watch the interview, people who actually watch the full interview, they were like, oh, okay, I see what you were saying. We were talking about Kamala Harris and whether or not she can become president in four years. And I said, I don't know. It's going to be based upon her work. It's going to be based upon changes that are made and whether or not we can go out and campaign for her because they actually did something for our communities. I said, but I can tell you right now, she black, which is one problem, but the fact that she's a woman, sexism can be worse than racism. In other words, to say you black and now you add on top of that the fact that you a woman, you really in trouble. Because as we know, America will take a, a, a black man over a highly qualified woman who was running against a lunatic. She was qualified. I didn't like her, but I'm just saying, you know she was more qualified than Donald Trump. And they all elect a black man, any man. So that was the point. It wasn't to diminish our struggle as black people mm -hmm. in this country. Of course, we know that racism is, is, is you know, um, racism has been every single day. It is the thing. And white supremacy is the thing that's killing our people, killing our communities. We know that. But I'm saying that there's like double whammies. You know, you mm -hmm. could be a man or a woman, but you could also be a black woman. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. anyway. We just got to do better, you know, our communities. That's another thing, you know, we got to, we have to figure out how to organize. And if things we don't like, things we do like, advocate for them and advocate against, That's right. you know, to make sure that you're respected and you get, you know, that our community is taken seriously. Mm -hmm. We have to, we have to treat ourselves the way that we want to be treated. We have to show people that we deserve to be treated a certain way. So, you know. I hope this is a lesson for artists, you know, understand that this is their industry. You know, this is, yeah. it's not your industry. Build your own. Build your Build own. Build your own. Build your own. That's have, right. And be able to do that. Not saying that it gives credence to you disrespecting or violating anybody. Not saying that. I'm just trying to say, if you if you want to have a platform to where you get to say and do whatever you want, then you got to build your own. So, yeah. And that's, and that's that on that, man. Hopefully, we learned a lot. You know, it's a dope episode. Um... Informative. 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 Shout out to the locks. You know what I'm saying? Dipset. Shout out to Dipset. But Jada Kiss is down. He moved up from five to three. Top three dead or alive mm. for me right now. So, you know, he's he did goated. a great a great job. Go to go to the energy was dope. You know, we didn't talk about he it. He was a he was an adult on the stage. He was too. an MC. Yeah, I told people yeah. he was a master of ceremony. Yeah. He completely controlled every aspect of that stage last night, man. And and, and I've been talking to him for days about it. And before that, he was just like, I'm not saying nothing, Mike. I'm not talking like, he, you know, they was amplifying it up. And he never came on social media and said one word. And I remember me and Mano was in the audience and we sitting there and they called everybody on the stage. So we sit, we standing like right next to the stage. So Mano looks at me and he's like, <laughs> he's like, Mike, look at Kiss. He ain't saying a word. 
he was focused. He said everybody was running around. He just was sitting up there, standing there. He said, yo, he's focused. I said, yeah, man. He's serious. So, you know, shout out to him. Dope, dope, dope versus. I want to see 50 verse game. No. That's no. the verses I want to see. I, I want to see, see 50 verse game. Mm-mm. I want to see Nikki verse Kim. Like, it's, it's, I want, I want that no, energy. Nikki verse Kim energy. doesn't work well, at all. Well, it just it doesn't because they're in two different age groups. And the, and the whole point of verses is supposed to be two people that were in the same time frame that had music running at the same time. But that's time. not really true because the locks, locks, dipset came. Years after the lock. They didn't have music that was basically going at the same time, no. like the artists individually. But, but, but no, what I'm trying to tell you is the locks just trans, they've they been around way longer than everybody. Mm. It's you still, Nikki, Nikki and Kim don't go together. It's just the wrong time frame. I don't know who Kim goes with. And by the way, there's some people that can't be versus. They just can't. They like, just can't do it. They just can't. I don't know who. And Kim's time, really, Kim would be Foxy Brown. Kim would be Foxy Brown. It would have to be. Yeah, you're right. That's a better And one. that wouldn't be good. That'd be... Because I don't think... I mean, I love... I don't think Foxy, I think Foxy has some good music, but she don't got enough music well, she to got go up against records. Kim. She got great she records. She got some good records. Maybe she does. Maybe you she know, does. You know, sometimes you see, forget you be about people's music. Like, oh. And then they get up there, you be like, oh, wow. I forgot that. I but forgot. Kim Kim got some... She does. Shout out yeah. to Kim. I love Kim. That's my sis. But um, yeah. So... Another great episode. We appreciate y'all. Thank you for the love, making us the number one <laughs> in the world. In We're our number minds. one. No, not in, in our minds. minds. We are and number in our one. Hearts. Just keep on. It's number one. Hearts. The best, best podcast in the world. And um, write us. Let us know what you feel. If you got any topics, ideas, tell us how great we are. Tell me how awesome I am, how much you like my hat. You can go get it. It's online. You know what I'm saying? Support us. I'm not going to always be right. Tamika's not going to always be wrong. But we will both, I guarantee you, we will both always, always be authentic. So love you. Peace. That's how we own it. 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 This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX is clipped. Now streaming only on Hulu. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears, real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or 
your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that could become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. 